This is a Dude Studios production. And hey, I'm the Dude. Welcome to Hey Bartender Podcast, episode number 166. I'm starting things off a little bit differently this time because I uh, had a little bit of fun editing this one. Uh, this episode, I featured guest Chuck Parnell. He is a former bouncer, uh, bartender, and uh, owner of A Little Crazy Entertainment. This guy was really awesome to talk to. And uh, you can tell I was pretty comfortable talking to this guy because there's two things that I like to talk about in this world is bartending and about music. And there are a couple times where we do kind of go on a little bit, but I'm trust me, it's entertaining. It's a lot of fun. And just to let you know, we will also be featuring the single bit by bit from Wildflower. Uh, so stick around for that. So until then, Laura Hope and the Arctones, would you please get me started? <laughs> Hey bartender, pass me a drink, a reason that I'm here, cause I need time to think, all the ways of the world. Oh, that's all right. Sorry, boss. It's an uh, it's just an audio podcast anyway, so uh, right. uh, they don't have to see anything that's going on right now. Right, but anyway, uh, well, I uh, welcome to Hey Bartender podcast. Uh, it's been a long time. You you asked me to be on uh, if you could be on the show a couple of weeks ago, and uh, finally our right. times finally time worked out. So right, uh, everything coincided. Yeah. Uh, so how are you? How you been? How's uh, how's things been going for you in the last? Well, let's say year because everybody else is having a crappy year. <laughs> oh yeah, same as everybody else. I mean, yeah. it's the same thing. You know, we're all in the same boat with this crap. Yeah. Uh, did uh, uh, where where are you at right now? Technically in Prescott, Wisconsin. Prescott, Wisconsin. Uh, yeah. Went from uh, Atlanta to Idaho to be the good father figure to the uh, kid that the uh, Korean girlfriend had, mm-hmm. and uh, she's Korean. I'm white. The kid popped out black. Oh. I was in transit while she was in labor. I showed up and I was like. We need to talk. She got defensive, told me it was mine. I was like, do you not notice a complexion difference? <laughs> I mean, there was no way of, of this being mine. Um, then my mom had moved to, she's originally from Rice Lake, Wisconsin, and then moved to Minnesota. I needed a roof and a bus ticket and ended up here. Well, uh, yeah, I think when I sent you an email earlier, I didn't read your whole uh, Facebook profile, but it says you're originally from Atlanta, Georgia, and I think that's... As far as I got, you know, start attention deficit problems, I guess. And no, no so I just assumed that you were in a different time zone. But yeah, I wasted money on bartending school uh, in Atlanta mm-hmm. and then bartended at a Red Lobster for like six months, if that. And then again, I was 18. You could bartend in, in the city of Atlanta and Cobb County. Everywhere else was 19. At the age of 18, of course, you're young, dumb, full of blank. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to work at a strip joint more than anything in the world. Don't Had all of us guy interview. bartenders, you know, when, when we just guys decide that they want to bar, be a bartender, they always want to, you know, at least attempt, at least put in an right. application for it. <laughs> and I, I had an interview, went great. The guy loved me. And then he goes, oh, crap, you're only nine, you're only 18. I go, yeah, are we in the city of Atlanta? And he goes, mm-hmm. no, you got to be 19. This is how close we are. He took me outside, pointed across the street. And said, if we were on that side of the street, you'd have a job. I mean, it was less than a block. <laughs> it was, there were zoning problems. 
Right. I couldn't believe it. Oh, man. He told me to come back when I was 19, but I had moved here (laughs) by then. Yeah. uh, That wasn't too bad. Yeah, I'm originally from Oregon, and uh, uh, between jobs, I had worked at one bar for uh, a year and a half, and uh, I found myself single uh, uh, when I lost that job, so I just decided to go for broke. I I started applying at strip clubs uh, all uh, all over the place because – uh, I don't know if you know this, but Portland has uh, more strip clubs per capita than any other strip club really? or any other state in in the United States, I guess. <laughs> and so I had a lot of opportunities, but uh, there were a couple of bars where I, or strip clubs where they look at my resume and they go, wow, you have a lot of experience. And I said, yeah, I do. And they go, well, I don't really know how to tell you this, but we don't really hire male bartenders. Oh no. And I'm, I, and I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. You know, uh, cause you know, I wasn't going to raise some kind of fuss about, you know, equal opportunities, you know, a man should be able to work at a strip club. Uh, but, uh, uh, they said, if you're looking for a bar back job or a bouncer job, we can probably do that for you. And I said, well, I can do bar back bar back, but, they never gave me a call, so and I ended up working in when another I ended place up in Minnesota. What's that? Just you mentioned you're from Texas. When I started working in Minnesota, I mean, it's, uh, went to the when I ended up at the uh, Chinese joint. I ended up there by way of uh, I took a bus from like the Mall of America to home every weekend. Wow! But I had to switch buses, so I would stop in the Chinese restaurant. Became friends with the bartender, and we became really close. Dude is from Texas. I'm like, I've, I wanted to meet a native, man. Come on. <laughs> well, he had bartended for years, and I guess he had, uh, I know you, or I'm sure you've heard of Pantera. Oh, of course. He bartended, he bartended at a club that they would play at before they were ever anything. I mean, yeah. when they look like an L.A. rock band as opposed to what they look like now. Yeah. Makeup and hair and everything. And then we were lucky enough, I had met him. Um. Was it playing with White Zombie before Rob Zombie had quit it? Mm-hmm. And when I had met him, I had met Dime, and I said, "Hey, you know, not that you would, but would you guys, if you're done, you're bored, come across the street Chinese joint? George Lafleur works there." And they're like, "Are you serious? George works there?" And they remembered who he was and everything. I said, "Yeah, the bar tab's on us if you want to come over." And I ended up getting drunk with three quarters of Pantera. <laughs> <laughs> who didn't show up? They actually showed up. Did Phil Phil not show up or something? Nope. He was the only one who didn't show up. Uh, Everybody else did. You know, well, I, I don't know. I said, if you need, we can close the gate if it gets too busy or too much fan base. Yeah. But it actually went very, very smooth. I, I'm actually kind of surprised that I guessed that right, that Phil didn't show up. <laughs> right. Uh, but I've, I'd heard, I, I've met a couple people uh, in the past that have been, that have met uh, Dimebag Daryl and Vinny, and right. they said, "Oh yeah, they're awesome, great to their fans and all that stuff." And uh, but they never, nobody's had a good story about Phil. Uh, just you know, maybe the drug dealer or something. I don't know. But George had given me a shirt he had of them as a glam band. Yeah, and Phil was the first person I had met. He had come off the bus. He looked at me. I said, "Hey, Phil, you know, you got a minute?" And he goes, "Yeah, what do you got?" I pull out the shirt. He looks at me and he's like, dude, this is fucking embarrassing. <laughs> I said, but nobody else is around, man. And he signs it and then throws it at me and goes into the venue. 
That's the only time I ever met him. Yeah, I, I've, I, I'd seen one of Pantera's earlier uh, earlier albums went back before when they were trying to follow like Poison and all all those guys. Right. Uh, uh, I was at a used record store in, um, in Oregon, and uh, I had just been introduced to uh, Cowboys from Hell. And, right. but the, but the record store owner, he was just, you want to see something really cool? And he shows me that. And I'm like, <laughs> who the hell are these guys? You know? Right. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. I mean, it, I just thought, you know, that was the thing at the time was look like Motley Crue, look like poison, whatever. And just, uh, dime bag seemed to follow whatever was trending at the time. Mm. And then when Metallica, you know, Metallica, Megadeth Slayer and all that started taking off when the thrash hit, then he, they all changed. Yeah. Changed their look or whatever. Yeah. Uh, from all the documentaries and interviews, I'm a big Metallica fan. Uh, all the documentaries and interviews, they were pretty much the anti Motley crew. And, you know, with uh, forget the spandex or the big hair or all that, all that stuff. They, they just pretty much just came as they went. So, uh, and that to be the ass, they made the black album. Yeah. <laughs> That's when they lost it. I mean, that was like, oh, look how much money we made with Justice. What what can we do to make more? <laughs> and then they bring in Bon Jovi and Motley Crue's Dr. Feelgood producer, Bob, Bob Rock. Rock. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, it all went downhill from there. The In uh, my opinion, I should say. Yeah, I've uh, every <laughs> once in a while, I do go back and watch the, uh, uh, the video, uh, the VHS cassette of the video one. And yeah. uh, you see uh, Lars, he's saying, we didn't want to do one of those videos with the ramps and the explosions and all that crap. And then, you know, watch the video for like sad, but true and wherever I may roam and they're running around on ramps with explosions and all that. <laughs> and right. And I was like, that's just funny. <laughs> well, yeah, they made the excuse for um, Enter Sandman and uh, oh, I can't think of it offhand, but then I said that okay, fine, we're going to do a video that matches that goes with the song. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, nothing else matters comes out, and I'm like, this has nothing to do with the song. <laughs> Just because you mentioned one, I thought this was good. Beavis and Butthead one time, one of the videos they're watching, they're watching for one. Yeah, Beavis looks at Butthead. I love this. He looks at Butthead and goes, "Who is this? Who is this, Butthead?" Because you should know, dumbass. Because Beavis wears the Metallica shirt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I started questioning uh, Metallica when the well, the first time I heard "Until It Sleeps," the first single from the Load album. And right. I, I was standing there. I was listening to it. it. Just came on the radio. New single from Metallica, and I start listening to it. And I started thinking they have been hanging around Alice in Chains way too long. And because right. they just spent the last summer touring with them. And uh, so load, reload. I didn't hate the albums, uh, but I, I thought, okay, you guys are making a departure here. Where are you going? <laughs> but right. uh, the the only Metallica album I can, I can honestly say that I liked the least was uh, St. Anger. Oh, God, yeah. That and, was horrible. And I, I just kind of sat back and, you know, I... And I started hating, absolutely hating Bob Rock uh, in the Some Kind of Monster movie that they made, uh, right. where he's like, I wanted to make uh, make a garage band album, but that garage band is Metallica. And I thought, you made Metallica sound like shit. <laughs> right. And that are, um, Alice in Chains, the acoustic, or the unplugged thing, I yeah. just thought was funny. Mike Inez, he wrote 
on his base, friends don't let friends get friends' haircuts. Yeah, yeah. That's because Metallica <laughs> was in the front row and they had all cut their hair. Yeah, I, I read That's about that. That's why he wrote it on his base. He got it from that <laughs> after they toured with them or whatever. Yeah, um, uh, I read read about that. I guess uh, a part that was cut out is they played the intro riff to Sandman at one point, and then Lars stands up and says, right. one more time! But, <laughs> but yeah, yeah they, became, good. <laughs> they became uh, good friends, which uh, I'm glad they're, uh, uh, you, know, it's, you know, they've been touring for quite a while now again, right. but I'm glad that they were able to pick uh, pick a good lead singer, uh, Alice in Chains, uh, yeah. pick a good lead singer to c- continue touring and making albums and stuff like that because sometimes bands just can't find that magic ever again. Right. Uh, yeah, I'd say he picked up where Lane left off, mm. so yeah. to speak. And, uh, yeah, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah. anyway, you, uh, you said you uh, uh, wasted money on bartending school. I also did the same thing. I wasted money on bartending school. But uh, is that when you pretty much started off in the service industry? Yeah. Um, like I said, I moved here, met uh, George, the bartender at the joint, and then they had an opening for um, a bouncer at night in a Chinese restaurant of all places. Mm. And I did. I worked in a warehouse during the day, and then on the weekends and one or two days during the week, I would bounce at night. Mm. And then it, they had an um, opening and takeout, during the day and then I'd bounce at night. So I left the warehouse work takeout during the day. So that way I learned or had uh, become friends with the cooks and the cooks have always told me, you know, Chuck, you need help. You call us, you call us. Mm. And one night, you know, basically all you did in this joint was just card everybody. Sure. But some guy had started trouble and it was right outside of a mall, um, real small downtown mall. And if something happened, you just waited for the security to come, but they were running late. This guy was ready to just go at it. And I told, asked the bartender, I was like, go get Bobby and lie. And there's the two cooks and they come running out. They come running out and they're like, you fuck with Chuck, you fuck with us. They <laughs> jump into their little karate posers or whatever, ready to just kill this guy. I mean, they were serious. <laughs> I'm like trying not to laugh at the, Hey, you fuck with Chuck, Chuck, you fuck with us. The other guy, the guy's trying to, not laugh, but we're both trying to hold it in. Yeah. Uh, and uh, security gets down there, takes him away. And the one cook looks at me, he goes, you okay, Chuck, Chuck? I was like, yeah, I'm good. He goes, oh yeah. And then they start strutting back into the kitchen like badass. <laughs> <laughs> With the no, no fists were throwing, but it's hilarious. Uh, um, <sighs> I my cook in one of the bars that I worked at. He was always quick to help me out when I was having trouble in the bar. I mean, he's the nicest guy, and uh, I would say that he was probably a pacifist. But if shit went down, I could knew I could count on him. But right. uh, there was one time where this dude was causing trouble, and I looked at him right, looked at the guy right in the eye, and I uh, I had already kicked him out earlier in the day, and he <laughs> tried to come back in, and I said, "Hey." You turn around, get out of here. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Get, and right. my cook was like, "You better leave." And as soon as the guy <laughs> left, my cook turns and looks at me and says, "How do you expect me to back you up when you say things like that?" I had to step on my own foot to keep from laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, but you know, I was like, "Appreciate the backup. Sorry about that." <laughs> right. It just kind of came out. Uh, <laughs> right. But uh, oh, that's to, what it's always been. To, uh, I've. 
uh, to have people that say, "Hey, you you fuck with him, you fuck with us." That that had to be, that had to been feel good at least. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I mean they'd they'd always wash my back. They'd do the lunch, and then in between lunch and dinner, they'd cook for the. It was a whole big family run deal, and mm-hmm. then they'd be like, "Cha cha, you hungry?" Like, yeah, sure. They'd make me lunch, you know, make me dinner with their dinner and whatnot. It was pretty cool. It was a good time. Yeah. Well, it, uh, cooks will hook you up. Uh, if, if you're oh, nice yeah. to them, they'll, uh, they'll treat you great. Uh, oh yeah, they were great. Uh, I've all the restaurants that I've ever worked at, uh, as, as long as you made friends with the cook, I've, I've worked with some bad cooks or some cooks that weren't that cool, but, uh, they're, right. they're like, uh, Hey, don't worry about ringing that up. I'll, I'll take care of it. Or, uh, you know, or if you're having some kind of issue, they'll quickly jump out and help you out. That's that always made me feel good. But right. um, when it came to like bouncers, I only worked at one place that and we had bouncers on Fridays and Saturdays. And right. like you said, all they did was check IDs. And uh, but there was one time where an ID got past the guy in the liquor control commission ran a sting. And, uh, they, he, all he saw was the correct, uh, all he, he told me, all he saw was the month and the day he didn't do the math right for the year. And so we got stung. Has anything like that ever happened to you? No, um, actually been, been lucky enough. I was, I was there about a year, year and a half or so, but -hmm. as far as I know, nothing ever, nothing like that ever happened to me or didn't never happen to any of the other guys. Because mm. I would do that, like you say, the Friday, Saturday, and then I think it was like two nights a week. Mm. And there was like three of us that would rotate. Yeah. They'd have two of us on the weekend and then one during the week. But yeah, uh, yeah, no, I never got caught with anything. Yeah. It, then all of a sudden I started really, started really cracking down on my bouncers because, uh, yeah, they get getting a little complacency of looking at IDs uh, all the time. Right. I can totally understand that, but there were times where they just let somebody go through or they were standing right there at the door, but they didn't check the ID. And I'm like, what what are you doing? Yeah. You're messing with my livelihood. You don't get in trouble from the liquor control commission. I do, you know? Right. But, uh, yeah, we used to, we, I made sure, you know, if the girl looked good, I made sure she was over. Yeah. Um, that's (laughs) what my buddy and I would do because I didn't, I didn't know anybody in Minneapolis outside of my mother and aunt mm-hmm. and trying to meet girls. We would always, they had a, what do you call it? Uh, their drink called the wanderers punch and now, it was made in a, uh, yeah, you told me, uh, you told me about this in the emails leading up to the, today. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was going to have you talk about that for today's drink special. So, uh, this, this drink you're talking about, it's called the wanderers punch. Now, uh, right. How is it made or what's in it? It's every rum, light, gold, dark, 151. I want to say orange juice, grenadine. And the one thing that nobody could ever get, I believe it was triple sec, had kind of a licorice texture to it or something. Uh, triple sec's an orange-flavored li- orange liqueur. I know triple sec. I'm missing. What's the licorice uh, thing? I can't uh, The one that's supposed to uh, taste like licorice oh. is Galliano. The long, yeah. long, tall bottle sits in the corner. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then Galliano and what they would, they would pour it in a, um, uh, whatever the soda comes in that little keg, I forget how big it is, but it would be two bottles of white, two bottles of gold, two bottles of dark, 
one bottle of 151. Um, I want to say Galliano and triple sec grenadine. And it was filled with ice and everything. Mm. And this would last maybe a day or two. Oh, so um, this was so a punch would, bowl type of drink. Yeah. I mean, okay. it was, you know, yeah, that little fishbowl looking thing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, to meet girls because the college crowd would, would hit Friday and Saturday because it's right near the U of M. And then the, um, then the regulars, you know, Sunday through Friday or Sunday through Thursday. But we would ask girls, you know, if I liked somebody, my buddy would tell them, hey, your bar tab's on him if you can guess what's in this. And he got everything except for Galliano. <laughs> it's the one thing nobody could get. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's what we would do. Yeah, Galliano is not uh, extremely popular, popular liqueur anymore. No. Uh, my grandfather right. used to talk about it uh, back, you know, in the days of World War II and the Korean War. But, right. uh, yeah, you, nobody really talks about it anymore. So it's right. just a bottle that sits there behind the bar now. That's not, I tried that, to get the I, – I did try to get the recipe for just one glass, but he couldn't uh, – I had asked my buddy who was the bartender. He didn't – he couldn't remember it exactly. He had it written down but couldn't find it for me. So well, – so uh, well, for all that thing. Well, for all the listeners out there, if you want to make the Wanderers punch, like uh, like he said, it's four rums, OJ, Grenadine, Triple Sec, and Galliano, and it's probably uh, maybe a half to a whole shot of each of the rums, and maybe like a float of Grenadine and trickle, Triple Sec yeah. abo- uh, above the OJ. So, uh, but to all my listeners, if uh, you're going to go ahead and try to make that, yeah. Uh, experiment with it have fun it sounds like a uh, one of those uh dangerous drinks or the sneaker where uh hey this goes down pretty easy and then they're right. ha- uh, the brand new college student they're about th- uh halfway down and then they're flat on their lips you know oh yeah i, I yeah i know people that be halfway through the second one and be like oh wow and you just suddenly kicks you <laughs> the, now sneaker drinks you uh they used to crack me up uh because I've done it before where like this really gorgeous girl walked up to the bar and I just made her a strawberry daiquiri. I'm pissed as it is because she made me do a blended drink, but <laughs> the, uh, she comes up to me and says, excuse me, but is there any alcohol in this? And I said, <laughs> yeah, it's a shot of rum. Like it's supposed to be. And she goes, well, I can taste the alcohol when I make them at home. And I'm like, well, when you make them at home, you, you don't do one shot. You do like half a bottle, you know? <laughs> So I'd give him my my personal sneaker drink. I've talked about it on the show a dozen times, but uh, right. it goes down like uh, Hawaiian Punch. I mean, it's really smooth. And boy, her boyfriend was mad at me that night because I bet he was planning on getting laid, but she uh, she was in no mood anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> oh man. So okay. uh, so spending time. Uh, uh, you've spent time behind the bar a little bit, uh, and you, but it sounds like that you uh, spent a lot of uh, a lot more time as a bouncer. Uh, yeah. t- uh, I've never had a bouncer on my show before. I've uh, I've tried a few times. Um, now give me a uh, give me a f- one of your funnier bouncer stories. Uh, just something that is just completely ridiculous that you had to take care of as a bouncer. Uh, a couple things there. Well, one, this was great. They had a five table area in a darkened part of the bar. And it was a, I think it was done up originally. It's supposed to be some sort of romantic thing. Mm. Well, every half hour, you just 
do your walkthrough, make sure everything's okay. I just peek in there and I see this big dude leaning back, eyes closed. And I'm like, what in the world? And I look down, I see two little legs sticking out from under the table. Go up, look at the guy. I said, hey man, as much as I'd like to let you finish, um, I really can't. And I knocked on the table. You hear her, she accidentally hits her head on the table. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, ow, shit. (laughs) She gets out from under the table, wipes her mouth, and I shook the guy's hand. And then she goes to throw out her hand. I said, I don't mean to be rude as much as I would love to shake your hand. I'm just not going to because I'm pretty sure I know where it's been. (laughs) And she looked at me and I said, again, I'd like to let you finish, but I can't. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, no worries, no worries. The guy shook my hand again. He goes, no, nah, man, we're good. Nothing will happen. <laughs> and, I said, all right. And then I went to the bar and I, I told the bartender what had just happened. And he looks at me, he goes, you let her finish, right? I'm like, no. That's <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, the poor guy, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> at least go out to your car or go into the bathroom right? where nobody can see you. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it was a one person bathroom, so there is a there is a lock on it. Yeah. Where there was, yeah, you know, so you can get in. Um, another good one was the restaurant across the hall. There's a hotel connected to this uh mall area, and it's where all the NBA teams would stay to uh play the Timberwolves across this. It's like the arena was across a parking lot, and then there's the arena from us. Mm. So they all stayed at this hotel. Well, Charles Barkley, of all people, when he was with the Phoenix Suns, had gone into this restaurant. And then they had closed the gate, the security gate or whatever, so nobody could bug him or whatnot. And I just kept an eye out. And finally, they let him out. The security had come down to escort him back to the hotel. And I figured, well, I know the security. They're going to let me in this little circle. So I go running out. And I'm like, hey, Chuck, you going to beat the Timberwolves? And he, the whole circle stops and he looks at me <laughs> and one of the security guards I was lucky enough because we know him and he goes all right and he goes yeah we are so would you mind signing a napkin for me he goes yeah signs it I said thanks man you know kick the hell out of the Timberwolves he goes oh we plan to I said all right man have a good game <laughs> and I get out and some lady's screaming Barkley 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 and he just shaking his head no to the security and one of the security guys says Sorry, ma'am, we can't let you in. And he, she goes, but you let him in. I just want a napkin signed. And I turned and I, just being a smart ass, said, I'll sell you mine for 30 bucks. The whole circle stops. <laughs> Barkley turns around, just gives me this sneery look. Just like he's pissed. He goes, what? I said, no, I'm just kidding, man. Goes, you better be. And then they started walking again. Don't and even get out of eyesight and you try to sell that thing. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> I, she offered 50 and I said, heck no, no way. <laughs> One of the only, I think, second athlete I've ever met. Everybody else is always musicians in that, but, mm. you know, went home, got it framed. Yeah, I can't. on the wall in that. I can't say it, um, in the bars that I worked at it was a small town south of Portland um, right. where I worked and we didn't get uh, any celebrities that far out. I mean, because all the celebrities were hanging out in Portland. And, uh, but not that my managers didn't try from time to time because, uh, there, uh, there was a movie that, uh, Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton were f- filming in that area and they like right. took, took out full page ads in the newspaper, please Bruce and Billy come to our restaurant. And they never did, but no, no, 
but uh, that's that's awesome. You uh, you get to meet uh, people like that. But the uh, the story of your customer uh, and his girlfriend, well, I'm assuming, hiding under the, underneath the table. <laughs> right. I mean, the best I can you know compare with that is uh, I I was walking back to the, my dish because uh, I had to do my own dishes at one of the bars I worked at, and I had to right. walk. I would walk past the bathroom and like you said, it was a single, uh, single bathroom. And then I see, a uh, both a man and a woman come out of the bathroom. And I guess, uh, with the straightest face, I know I, it didn't affect me that much. I just looked at them both as they came out and they're wide eyed because I'm standing right there. And I just looked at him and said, so how was it? And they're like, no, we weren't doing this. And, uh, that severely embarrassed them, but your, your customers sounded way cooler about it. And, <laughs> yeah it was they were they, they looked at me like oh shit but then as i talked to him it was i guess you'd say cool about it mm-hmm. you know even though i wouldn't let him finish but he was they were fine i didn't kick him out you know they <laughs> they exited the little area right away and came to the bar but oh yeah kick it him. was it was interesting kick him out right away and all of a sudden you know and the guy's got to try to put away his uh uh put the tent pole away Jump. and you know <laughs> right yeah, that that would have made things a lot worse. I mean, he's going to suffer blue balls anyway, so give him his dignity, you know. <laughs> right. One other thing I've, I wasn't working it, but I thought it was funny, and this just goes back to the strip joint thing. First Avenue, the club that's in uh, Prince's Purple Rain and all this, you know, found all these people. It was like down the street. Oh. I was going to go see a friend of mine's band play. We had time to kill, so a friend of mine and I just went to this strip joint. And we're sitting at the bar. And all of a sudden, all these guys flock to the stage. And I'm just like, okay, what's the big deal? What are we in for? See the girl coming down the stairs. And I'm like, okay, it's a blonde. She's fairly attractive. Okay, but I nothing to write home about. She comes down. She starts dancing. And I'm still looking like, what in the world? And all these guys have all their money on the stage and everything. And start of her three-song set. All of a sudden she turns and she's got one arm. One arm. And I thought it was the strangest thing. You couldn't see it at first until she turned and she was missing her left arm from the elbow down. Oh, wow. And I think that's why everybody's flocking there. And my buddy's like, how's she going to take the top off? I said that she can do one handed. How's she going to get, get it back on? That's the, that's the, that's the, the question. Yeah. And sure enough, she had tied it in a knot somehow that she was able to slip it back on. And I want to say the stage, there was 20, 25 people. And she goes to the little table dance area after her three song set. And I swear to God, 20 of the 25 are waiting in line. We start doing the math. Basically say she makes X amount of money on the stage. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, it's 20 bucks per table dance. I'm like, Oh my God, this woman can afford rent in one night. Yeah. I mean, it, she, I, she must have made out like a bandit. Yeah, people and their fetishes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just one of those uh, niches. I, I mean, I uh, a few uh, episodes or quite a few episodes now ago, I had a uh, a guest on the show that was a stripper, and she's talking about that she uh, can make ballpark between two and three grand at a night, and I'm like, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> I know, right. And I don't, I mean, I don't think I could, uh, I could pull, pull that off. I'm, I think people would pay me to keep my clothes on personally. Right. 
But if I had the body for it, I'd do it. I'd do it in a sec. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they. But when you got it, that specific uh, fetish, uh, I bet right. you, uh, she, she. I bet she can clean up and yeah, makes more money than I do. Uh, more money in a month than I do in a year. <laughs> right. No, that's that's oh. crazy. Is uh, the there's strip club out here? Uh, I I read in the newspaper, I didn't actually go, but they had, uh, uh, I guess she's a popular, uh, uh, it's, you know, in the email I was telling you that I try to keep things casual and you were worried about saying, right. you know, dropping F bomb or something like that. And I'm telling you, don't worry about it. But there are times mm. where I try to stay politically correct, but sometimes I just, <laughs> I don't know the wording for it. So I, there, most of the time I just say, fuck it and just say it. Um, right. But uh, there was a strip club out here where uh, I guess she was a popular uh, midget porn star that was feature dancing, uh, feature dancing out here. And I guess the place was just packed to the gills. The, uh, the, the seams of the building were like uh, popping just because she was there. And, uh, and they said they had never experienced business like that before. They'd had feature dancers there, but when you, you had that specific, I yeah, I think fetish is the right word. Then then people just come flocking from everywhere. So, I'm sure half of it, half of them were fans and half of them were fetish. Yeah, you know, and that's why there's probably so many. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, <sighs> but you never uh, you never got a job at that strip club though. You you didn't you weren't a bouncer. No. You weren't a bartender or anything like that. No, no, unfortunately yeah. not. No, I mean it's a it's a real sleazy hole in the wall joint. Sure. Now. Uh, you did spend time behind the bar, yeah, according to your email. Yeah, um, very little. I was in the during the day at the oh uh, the day bar seafood joint. Yeah, yeah. So it was like one person drank two days of the week, maybe. Yeah, is a salesman that would come in. Uh, so not, uh, you didn't really have anything extremely fun or interesting. It was just kind of maybe do the side work no. for the night. Yeah, nothing exciting. You know, you, like yeah. prepping the bar for the evening. You ever get cussed out by the evening bartender saying you didn't cut all the lemons or whatever? No, actually, I had gotten I got along very very well with the night guys. I mean, I was trying to make a make an impact, and they'd be like, "Oh, you know, yeah, why don't we throw them on the night?" I think I worked in I think I only worked there six months, eight months, somewhere in there, mm-hmm. and I only worked two nights. Yeah, um, made out pretty good, but yeah, I just trying to make an impact, and then hopefully one of the night guys would leave or something, and then. They would offer me that position, now, but it just never happened. Now that's kind of difficult because uh, sometimes in bars, once a bartender finds a place that they like, a place that they're comfortable, uh, they don't leave. They they right. just stay there. And uh, so waiting for somebody to get fired or quit can sometimes take a long time, uh, right. especially if they're a popular bartender. The, the, the boss will do anything to keep them there. Right. But... Uh, yeah, it's it's rough for the servers and uh, dayside bartenders to get a night shift just because the bartenders that are usually there they just they that's their home they don't want to leave, right? And so the Chinese joint was kind of the same thing, but I guess because I drank, the owner didn't want to put me behind the bar. I think they were nervous of I was going to drink while on the job, which has never happened. But yeah, yeah, you know, I make a time for that. Now, as a bouncer, now um, the most of the bars that I worked at, I didn't have a bouncer, but uh, times where I sat back and I thought I could really use a bouncer because Friday nights and Saturday nights, 
my bar was the last bar open in, in town. So I would get the overflow from every bar because all the bars closed at one o'clock and my bar closed at two thirty. Right. And I, I wished I had a uh, bouncer, but uh, of course that late at night, people are drunk. People are have, trying to have a good time. But if uh, every once in a while, a fight starts now, uh, I've always maintained that when a, a fight breaks out, this might be a different point of view from a bouncer, but when a fight breaks out, a woman can actually uh, stop the fight a lot faster than if I jumped out there and tried to stop the fight. It uh, Would you agree with that at all? Oh, God, yeah. So, yeah, a woman's able to just, hey, hey, stop, stop, you know, because they're, they're not a, what do you call it? Uh, the, you know, they're, the woman's not going to do anything, but another guy getting into it might cause more trouble right so i think that's yeah i totally agree the woman can stop it a lot quicker you ever have that moment where like i it happened to me once where you have two guys and they're uh they're fighting and then you all of a sudden one of the guys looks up and sees you they're in battle mode then all of a sudden they immediately switch to i just fucked up mode yeah you know, a, go ahead i'm sorry i wasn't guy used to work oh no worries guy used to work there and i was told not to let him in anymore so I just told him, hey, you know, there's nothing I can do. I'm listening to the boss here. I can't let you in. And he was really upset. And uh, the female bartender had come back because she knew I was in trouble because this guy's just bitching up a storm about it. And she took him aside. And sure enough, the guy walked away. Mm-hmm. So she took it over. But, yeah. Now, I've had those guys before where uh, they're not – they're pretty much 86 from every bar in town, but they still try to get into every bar in town. Oh yeah. Did that get annoying or did you become friends with them? Uh, I mean, it's just, Hey Bill, you know, you're not supposed to be here. Yeah. Have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was friendly with them. Yeah. Like mm. you're saying, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, you got 86, nothing I can do is, you know, but you know, Hey Bob, you know, we'll see you later. See you around. And yeah, they'll be like, Oh, okay. And then they go to the next one in line or whatever. If I wasn't the last one, mm. but yeah, it went, it went pretty smooth. Became friendly with friendly with them, yeah. Yeah, never saw them outside of the work. Yeah, uh, you got my curio- uh, curiosity going because I love hearing from uh, bartenders or servers that they've met famous people, and mm-hmm. you've told me so far that you've met uh, Pantera and you've met Charles Barkley. Have you met many others? Not to sound cocky, yes. I've no, don't go go ahead, be I've, cocky. <laughs> <laughs> name name drop I've name drop like every, crazy if you want to <laughs> i've met everybody living that i've ever wanted to meet um i would love to have met randy rhodes uh-huh. and even based on your poster i would love to have met keith moon oh god yes yeah one thing one thing that i've always heard this is how good of a drummer he is um daltrey had heard a recording and something sounded weird and he had slowed it down and as Keith Moon's hitting the snare, he's hitting it twice, not once. Mm. But it sounds like once at normal speed. So he had to slow it down to hear him hit the snare twice. Um, that and I always thought it was funny when he got, in a, you know, not funny that he got in a fight with his wife, I should say, but and throwing a champagne bottle. Mm. But it hit the wall of the stairs leading upstairs, and he put a frame around it. Kept the bottle in the <laughs> hole and put a frame around it. I always thought that was funny. Well, Keith Moon is. I mean, I've got Keith Moon is the what? like pinnacle 
of the rock and roll lifestyle, destroying hotel rooms, throwing TVs out oh, yeah. windows, and uh, all that. And you know, the, the sex, drugs, rock and roll. He was he was the pinnacle. I don't think anybody could do what he did and survive as long as he did. <laughs> right. Well, I, I I forget where it was. They were playing once, and Keith Moon was so high and screwed up that he passed out on the kit. Yeah. I know that story. The the set, and they bring they bring somebody up from the audience. Yeah. Like, does anybody play the drums? <laughs> and they bring this guy to play two tracks. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. He uh, he was dared uh, that uh, somebody came up to him with these pills that were like animal tranquilizers. And they said, if right. you take half of one of these, Keith, and you drink it with a glass of brandy, you get an interesting high. And he's half of one. I'm Keith Moon. Grabs Keith all Moon. of them, <laughs> and grabs, right. and then uh, you know my uh, John Entwistle was like, I remember that night that my generation started really fast to non-existent, and our because our right. drummer had passed out on his drum kit. Uh, yeah, I know, I know that story. Great Keith Moon story, <laughs> right? But uh, let's see. Um, I went to high school with the Robinson Brothers of the Black Crows. Oh wow. Walton High School in Marietta, Georgia. They get along back then? Um, yeah. <laughs> they they didn't seem to like their fan base. Mm. I had seen them 88, 89, opening for the band Junkyard, which is kind of like a Guns N' Roses ripoff, if you remember that. They had the song Hollywood and Simple Man. Mm. But I was like, I shook Chris Robinson's hand and said, man, I went to high school with you. I can't believe this. And he goes, so? And he walks <laughs> on. I'm like... I figure, okay, I don't have big boobs, so I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. Uh. Um, he was kind of an ass. Um, Dennis Leary was fun. Uh, now uh, that's comedian a, Dennis Leary. Now, that's a guy that I, I have always debated. Would he be cool to meet, or uh, would he, well, he's a self-proclaimed asshole. But, uh, you know, I w- always wonder what it would be like to meet him. Just because you mentioned asshole, my second marriage, that was supposed to be my walk down the aisle song was going to be asshole. I had her. I had her. I had the woman be all she was. Well, yeah, go ahead. And then we had our second meeting with the DJ and he's like, well, there's going to be kids there. There's going to be this. I'm like, they're not mine. I don't care. And if they were mine, they did it a hundred times. And she agreed with the DJ and wouldn't let me do it. I was like, oh, come on. I had her at nine months going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we, I think it was like two weeks before the wedding day. She said, no. Um, no, no, Dennis Leary is fun. I'm sad enough. I have a Dennis Leary tattoo. Oh, really? And yeah, on my left arm. Um, but I had said he'd come off the bus and it was, um, during, well, when rescue me was out and it was him. And I forget the other guy's name now that was on there. I think it was supposed to be his brother, but when Leary had come off, I had waited there since like 10 in the morning and I think he came off there. His bus showed up and he got off at about two 30, but all these kids come running with DVDs. And I looked at him and I said, if I don't get a picture with him and he doesn't sign my tattoo, I'm going to beat all of you. <laughs> and when he came off, it was funny when he came off the bus, they all backed off and let me do my thing. I was like, all right, now you guys are good. But he came off and I said, yeah, can I get a picture with you? And would you sign my tattoo? And he goes, Yeah. And got the picture, and then a couple of the kids were bugging him, and I'm just waiting. Then he gets done. He goes, what did you need me to sign? And I said, my tattoo, and I lifted my sleeve up. And he looks at me. He goes, what are you, fucking nuts? <laughs> and I'm like, yes, but that's beside the point. Yeah. And 
he's like, get a load of this. And he's talking to everybody that's working for him, talking to the other comedians, like, get a load of this shit. <laughs> and he, he signs it and he goes, what are you going to go do now? I said, I'm going to go get it inked in. He goes, what? So I have his, his autograph uh, tattooed in as well under his portrait. Uh, I've, I've seen other people do that before. Like uh, Kevin Smith, right? uh, Kevin Smith signed some people. Uh, somebody had a tattoo of Jane Silent Bob on their side or something like that. And Kevin Smith signed it. So no, you're going to love this then. Oh, really? Go ahead. Go. Uh, yes. No, no, please go. Um, right leg outside on my calf is a Jay and silent Bob tattoo. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. When, when he started his evening with Kevin Smith and then he started touring it just to colleges before it became a big thing. Right. I wasn't a college student, but I again, waited out there since 10 in the morning. And I don't think it was, it wasn't live till seven, but some janitor I'd asked, what door does the, um, what door would he come in? And he showed me. So I stood there. Never came in through that door, uh-huh. but I knew where the green room had a window and I had tapped on the window and I'd written down on a piece of cardboard. Would you sign my tattoo? <laughs> and somebody working for him, I think saw it and just closed the blinds, like whatever screw off. Uh-huh. I tapped on it again and he opened it and he <laughs> read the sign and gave me a thumbs up and big smile saying, yes. Uh, <laughs> I had, talk to the uh, ticket guy and I'm like look there's no more line you got tickets left would you rather make the money or not mm. I said anyway I can get in and he goes yeah all right so he sold me a ticket I went in and you know everybody waits on an evening with Kevin Smith if you're right. familiar they'll wait and they ask questions yeah and I'd ask somebody if you take a picture with me and with him and he says no he this guy said no I think he'll get pissed I'm like okay, you don't know Kevin Smith at all. <laughs> and I got to the microphone and he pointed out me and he goes, yeah, man, what's going on? I said, not much. I said, what door did you come in? And he's looking around the arena. He goes, ah, that one. I said, no, I was standing outside that one. I know you didn't come in that <laughs> one. So it's laughing. He goes, what can I do for you? I said, just wanted to say I love clerks and would you sign my tattoo? Yeah, get up here. And I was, according to him, I was the first tattoo that he had ever signed. Yeah. I'd gone up there, threw my leg up. I mean, this was 08, something like that. Yeah. I forget now what year it was. But I had, it was weird having to angle my leg. And I think, I'm sure it looked derogatory because he I, he looked, he must have made a look and the whole crowd started laughing. So I'm sure he looked at me like, whoa, what are we doing? <laughs> um, and during it, he had called Muse, the guy who plays Jay. Yeah. And he had said that, um, or he had done this, and I just asked him, I said, is Muse here? And he goes, no. He goes, no. I was like, damn. And he goes, well, you got a place for him to sign. I said, yeah, and I've kept this place open for when I meet Jason Muse to sign it. (laughs) And I guess from what I had read somewhere after his tour, or maybe it was a Jay and uh, Silent Bob podcast or something, but he had told Jay that there's some guy in Minnesota that has an open space, a Jay and Silent Bob tattoo and an open space for him to sign. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, it was, it was sweet. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the band Wasp. Uh, I know, know of them, but I don't. Okay. This was my number one band. Um, you know, Kiss was number one. Mm. Then when Motley Crue had hit and all this, but then seeing interviews with uh, the main guy, Blackie Lawless, 
started falling in love with these guys. Mm. Just love this band. And I, for my very first tattoo, I inherited a bunch of toys that my dad had before he died, a bunch of model cars and everything. Mm. And I met a tattoo artist that collected toys, asked him if he would exchange toys for a tattoo. So my first tattoo never cost me anything, but it's in the PMRC in the middle of the eighties, about 85 or so when they came around, hated the span wasp because they had a song animal fuck like a beast. And they were on the filthy 15, mm. I think ranked number five and everything. Tipper core was just pissed. Yeah. So the second album they did, they, from what I understand, the insert, is all four band members' heads cut off and thrown on stakes. It's a photo or a painting of it. And I always thought this looked great. So that was my first tattoo is his severed head on my back. <laughs> and first autograph I had inked in when I met him, I, they didn't have a date up here, but they had one in Atlanta. So I flew down to Atlanta on a Friday, see the show on a Saturday, leave on Sunday. I couldn't believe, I'd always heard he was an ass. And when I had met him, I had told him, you know, I flew down here for this blah, 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 you know, um, told him all sorts of stuff, what his music does to me. And he looked at me and started talking about personal stuff. I'm like, holy shit. Oh, wow. guy's like opening up to me. I've known him for less than five minutes, but, uh, so he can't get a picture with you. And I'm five, four, five, five. He's like six foot something. And he's like leaning way over to put his arm around me and take this picture. <laughs> it's goofy. Yeah. Then I asked him if he'd sign my tattoo, pull my shirt up and he goes, Holy shit. He goes, really? I said, yeah, if you would, you know, would you sign it? And he goes, yeah. Signs it. And he goes, what are you doing now? I said, I'm going to go get it inked in. And he goes, well, here, let me, what else we got? And I had every CD. So he signed everything. He goes, come with us. And he let me listen to Soundcheck. Let oh, me wow. listen to their, their Soundcheck. Yeah. And then said, do you have, uh, he goes, you got tickets? And I said, yeah. He goes, and he asked, do you have passes? I said, no. And he goes, okay. And he looked to the manager and asked the road manager to write my name down. He goes, there, you got passes. We'll see you tonight. I said, sweet. Thanks, man. You know, have a good set. <laughs> and he didn't stick around afterwards. You know, he, I've never heard of him staying around uh, backstage or anything, but I met everybody else in the band, hung out with everybody else, had pictures, everything. I mean, it was a great experience. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to uh, hang out with your idols like that. I mean, uh, oh yeah, I, I, I went and saw the who, or what's left of the who, uh, cause like the year before John M. Whistle died, but it was just Roger and Pete. Or, I mean, uh, yeah, Roger and Pete on stage with, uh, Zach Starkey and, you know, other people to fill right. in the blanks. And I kept thinking, God, it, uh, uh, I'd love to go meet them, but, uh, you know, you don't, sometimes they say you don't want to meet your heroes, but, right. um, that's what yeah. I was worried about. But I, yeah, there's there's so many uh, so many people that I've always wanted to meet, and I truthfully before I became a bartender, I uh, sat back and hoped that it would eventually happen. But the closest right. I, the closest I got was a guy that's claimed he was uh, Twiggy from Nine Inch Nails, and I think the only reason why he claimed that was just so he could get away with uh, trashing my bar, and <laughs> but. Twiggy from you mentioned Nine Inch Nails. Do you mean is it Nine Inch Nails or Marilyn Manson? Nine Inch or uh, uh, it was Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was he was with Nine Inch Nails, wasn't he? I just know there was a guy Twiggy um, in Marilyn Manson when Marilyn Manson started out. Now it's just I think it's just him and whoever the keyboardist is. But yeah, I could be wrong. 
Well, yeah, because he trashed my bar and wrote nine inch yeah. or drew nine inch nails logo in the bathroom wall. Pissed me off. Something fierce. Oh, I'm sure. But I, uh, when he started saying, "Hey, I played with nine inch nails," and I said, "Yeah, way to blow the base, uh, base audition with Metallica," and you know, because <laughs> they showed him in that movie him trying right. out for Metallica, but he completely blew it. Yeah, yeah but in uh, a year and a half in the life of, or I, oh. I think it was some kind of, the some kind of monster movie. Uh, year and a half in the life. I I know that one backwards and forwards. That was basically all I watched during my. Soft, after my sophomore year in high school, all summer, right? Because uh, I was playing the drums uh, with a band back then, a uh, high school band, and I was trying to learn as much as I could, you know, okay, how does Lars do this? How does Lars do that? But, right. uh, yeah, but anyway, Lars isn't the most respected drummer out there, but I, I followed him right. pretty closely. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I used to think that I was going to meet a celebrity someday. Never did, but, you know, that's cool. I mean... I still got to meet a lot of really cool people. Right. But uh, one more, and I just, I think this is funny. I, what was I? 14, I think it was. I had seen Guns N' Roses in 87 before anybody knew who they were. I saw them open for Motley Crue, mm-hmm. song and a half into it. Axel jumps off the stage, banned from Atlanta for 10 years, gets arrested, all this stuff. Never got to see him till 2016. Duff McKagan did his book signing here. And I had gone to that and I was like, it was fifth, sixth in line. And you weren't supposed to ask for it to be personalized. Mm. I'm just like, well, I've got balls. I'm just going to ask. And I went up to him and you know, you get your picture with him. And then I said, I know I'm not supposed to ask, but anyway, to personalize it. He goes, yeah, what do you want? Sorry about Atlanta. Chuck, sorry about Atlanta, 87. Duff McKagan, he goes, yeah, as he's signing it, what happened? <laughs> and I told him, I said, song and a half into it, you guys you know, hadn't made it yet really huge. But Axel jumps off the stage. He stops signing it, steps back. He goes, dude, I remember this. And he starts telling me the whole story, all the crap I didn't know about, you know, Axel fighting the security guards in the back and getting arrested and all this stuff. I mean, he went in depth. It was great. And the whole time, the bookstores tell him, okay, yeah, you need to hurry up and go. And Duff would look at them and be like, no, no, he's fine. He's fine. And then continue the story. They just like two or three times trying to get me (laughs) off the stage. (laughs) But I couldn't believe he was excited as hell to tell me the story. So uh, Guns N' Roses was like like that way before the, what was that? Uh, When they were touring with with Metallica and Faith No More uh, and uh, uh, James Hetfield uh, was in Montreal and James Hetfield got burned up in a, uh, yep. magnesium pot and he just all of a sudden left the stage and then the riots broke out. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I look what's to come, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't, uh, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not knocking guns and roses. Uh, Appetite for destruction still in my top 10, but, right. uh, yeah, uh, I, I used to joke around about, uh, guns and roses a little bit because this was after, uh, after they, or Axel left the band, pretty much left the other guys in the lurch. And the name, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh when he came back of uh, uh with that uh album was was it Chinese Chinese Democracy what was it called again? Yeah, Chinese Democracy. Yeah. The last one they did. Um, it was him and a bunch of hired guns. Yeah, when he came back and started touring with that, there was a girl I was uh talking to at the time who is a huge Guns N' Roses fan, and she was excited that she was going to get to go see that concert. And uh, I said, what time does the concert start? She goes, 8 o'clock. 
And then I knew uh, the next day when I talked to her after she went there, I said, well, the concert was supposed to start at 8 o'clock. When did he show up? She goes, 11. And, <laughs> and uh, it's just now like, he's uh, now he's what? Now, now he's he seems to have stopped being cocky. Really? You finally well, stopped. I mean, that? he's yeah. I mean, he stopped. You know, he stopped doing his. I'll show up whenever I want. Now he shows up on time, and I think he, I think he realizes what he did or something. You know, along those lines. I mean, I think he was cocky before because he owned when Appetite for Destruction came out. All five of them owned twenty percent. Right, and then something came up with Adler. And Steven Adler, the drummer, gave up 5% to Axel. So now Axel owns most of it. He owns 25%. So it's 25, 20, 20, 20, and 15. Mm-hmm. And that's how he's always been able to keep the name, do whatever he wants, so to speak, and do whatever. But he's he's kind of grown up now, I would say. Yeah. I think now, you know, I saw him in Atlanta in 2016. And sure enough, he showed up on time. I haven't heard any bad press of him not showing up on time or within a half hour or something like that so i think he's getting older getting wiser i started wondering if he started uh shaping up a little bit when he took over the tour with acdc when uh uh what's his name couldn't uh couldn't finish the tour yeah brian johnson brian johnson yeah yeah. uh when he uh took over lead vocals for acdc i was i was like well he must have changed because they wouldn't put up with that uh acdc has been around long enough where they're like, no, we're not going to deal with this. I'll show up when I'm ready. Crap. Our fans are expecting mm-hmm. us now. And right. But uh, I'm sure they put something in the contract and yeah. he has to show up at X amount of time. Oh, well, I was just happy that Guns N' Roses got back together because when I'd heard that they broke up, I was like, well, what's Slash going to do? Because he's one of the greatest guitar players of, of my time. And right. uh, but he he wasn't hurting during that time where he wasn't with Guns N' Roses, <laughs> I'm sure. Right. Is, well, yeah, like I said, they still make money off Appetite. They could probably retired after that album. Yeah. Yeah. All right, people, it's uh, time for me to take a break. I'm going to go out and um, maybe get some lunch, have, have a drink, and smoke a cigarette. But until then, I'd like to introduce you all to this week's musical guest. This week's musical guest hails from Santa Barbara, California. From the album By the Blood of My Heart, this is Wildflower with the single Bit by Bit. I live each day back in maybe my lust by the skin of my teeth I've been stuck in the past I've survived this long Make it 
That was Heather A. Perry with her project Wildflower. And the name of the song was Bit by Bit. If you want to listen to that song again, you want to buy that song, or find out more of the stuff that she has out there, head on over to bandcamp.com, look up wildflowerheather.bandcamp.com, and you can find all of her information, links to her Facebook page. If you want to follow her on Instagram, it's Heather Ann Peary. H-E-A-T-H-E-R-A-N-N-E-P-E-E-R-Y. And you can find out all the latest stuff. You know, uh, the whole COVID thing is about to end, so, you know, shows are about to start. So you might as well get yourself familiarized with some of these people out there. And if you're a part of a band or you have a project going on out there and you want to get a little bit of airtime, send a message to me. I'm the dude. So email me, dude, at heybartenderpodcast.com. And... We can uh, get you guys a little bit of airtime, and because I love playing independent music on this podcast, it's uh, one of my favorite things I get I get to do. Just remember, email email me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com. So let's go finish up the interview with Chuck Parnell. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk about a little crazy entertainment. How did that start? What is what is a little crazy entertainment? Well, a little crazy has started out as a when I was 14, band name I was going to have because I was going to, you know, grow up and be a millionaire rock star. Yeah. 
That, of course, didn't happen. Yeah. Um, but I kept the name. The name has always stuck with me for years. So then I decided to do a production company, video and audio. Um, started out, we're in pre-production of a couple podcasts at the moment. Um, I've got a local uh, musician that is uh, wanting to do a documentary and has asked me to do the video and uh, direct this for him. Um, you know, it's, a, it's an audio video production company, basically. Uh, so I uh, used to have a, used to have a show on uh, cable access up here where I'd bring in a local band unsigned, do a half hour, just them playing. Mm-hmm. Didn't last very long. Thought it was great, but it didn't last very long because everybody was voluntary. And I was, I'm 48 now. I must've, I want to say I was 43, 44. And everybody else was like 10 years, 20 years older than me that worked on it. I had, you know, grandma's running cameras, um, older guy doing the directing, but I know these, these ladies just hated the music. I mean, they just hated it. It was all hard rock and metal bands that would play. Mm. And it lasted about four episodes. <laughs> so I'm sure they didn't want to volunteer anymore. That's cool. Cause one of the points of uh, Hey Bartender podcast is that I get to bring in independent uh, music all the time. And I, you know, I'll go on to bandcamp.com and just right. sift through everything, find something I like or I appreciate mm-hmm. and then ask them permission to, uh, to use them on my show. I've heard, right. I really don't have to ask permission, but I just want to, you know, be nice and not burn yeah, any bridges. Yeah. To be a music promoter, to actually bring in these people for the sole purpose of giving them airtime because MTV won't do it anymore. Uh, right. Radio stations won't do it anymore. That's a, that's a really awesome thing that you at least tried to mm-hmm. uh, give some people some airtime. So yeah. it's you st- you started out as a uh, cable access type or uh, public access type of channel or right. TV yeah, show. I mean, it's like Wayne's World. Yeah. You know, I didn't really say anything. I just introduced the band and let them do their thing. Um, biggest thing I ever told them, I said, just there's no crowd, but make believe there's a crowd. Play yeah. like you do when you're live. Yeah. And first band I had on, uh, I was good friends with the uh, guitar player. Well, good friends with all of them, I should say. Um, but I had asked him, I was like, hey, you want to do this? And they're like, yeah, okay. And I think it was started toward the downfall of them, of the band, unfortunately. Because I loved it. I thought they were great. But, um, yeah, they just, I said, you guys are my guinea pigs. And mm-hmm. that one went over really, really well. That one was great. Um, then it just kind of went, like I say, it went downhill from there, unfortunately. Was it like those Guitar Center sessions? Sure. Because uh, uh, you ever watch those? The, oh, yeah. Uh, was it like that? Because it, it always felt like, especially when Cheap Trick did that Guitar guitar Center session, uh, it mm-hmm. felt like that they were, you know, they were actually doing what they do when they play live. And uh, when they play in Surrender, they bring out the Kiss album and throw it out into the audience. And you know there's no right. audience there. There's just production people. But they still right. did it. Was yeah, I mean, it, was that the type of just, atmosphere you were doing? Yeah, it was just like that. Yeah. Exactly like that. Like I say, I mean, it's we had a studio, three camera setup, and I just said, just do what you do, mm. and you know, I can edit it from there if needed, kind of thing. But yeah, it was just it was just like the guitar center things. Yeah, just a little bit louder. <laughs> yeah, and that's about it. That's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, what else? Uh, what else do you do with uh, your production company? At the moment, that's about it. I would love to grow it to become, I would love to have a record label mm-hmm. and not just 
to put money in my pocket, but to keep the artist, you know, do, I'm just throwing numbers out there, but do it, you know, 70, 30 in my favor. Once that album, say I, say I was Geffen records with appetite for destruction. Yeah. 70, 30 to the band, 30 goes to the band, 70 to me. Once I've recouped what I've put into that album, we sign a new contract, 60, 40 in the band's favor. The 40% more is just for distribution, copying, sending it out there, keeping it flowing. Mm -hmm. And then we do the second album the same way. And then after 10 years or whatever, the band or songwriter owns whatever they did on that album. They own the masters. I can't keep it. Like uh, I think it's Richard Brackman, the guy who owns Virgin owns all the originals of the Rolling Stones. Right. Um, it's, you know, it's like Michael Jackson owning uh, Elvis Presley. Elvis um, Presley, Paul McCartney. Yeah, I know what you're talking right. about. <laughs> yeah, be like that. I would want the originals to go to the actual artist, the actual musician. Mm. And I'm not, like I say, if I could live off of whatever I made, fine. I'm not looking to go rich. I'm not looking to live on an island off, you know, Florida or something like that. You don't want the copyright so you can keep music alive. Uh, you don't want the copyright so you can charge, what is it, a half a million dollars to play Satisfaction on a, on a TV show or right. something like that? <laughs> right. Uh, it's, uh, if you ever heard of Devo. Oh, sure. One, another one I thought was funny. Devo was able to do a cover of Satisfaction because they didn't have a contract like that yet. <laughs> <laughs> so they were able to do it on the cheap. <laughs> no, I thought that was good. Yeah, I I know a little bit about uh, copyright law and some of that stuff out there. It's it's just crazy. I mean, Sony right now they they own the rights to the Beatles music, but it's yeah. it's just the uh, I think it's just the mechanical rights. They they can mm -hmm. they can't play the actual Beatles song, but they can hire somebody to play the Beatles song and get away with it. Right. But yeah, when come like Paul McCartney, he he's he tells that story all the time where he was talking to Michael Jackson and he told him to get into copyright and stuff like that. Cause uh, I guess Paul McCartney owns the rights to a couple buddy Holly songs, I think. And right. that's, and that's why you never hear a buddy Holly song really ever on a TV show or anything like that. Cause mm -hmm. it's insanely expensive in order to do it, but to give the artist that opportunity to at least in the future, uh, get their master tapes because uh, while well, we were talking about Metallica earlier and they announced, what was it, two years ago that mm -hmm. they uh, they got uh, they bought the right the rights and the master tapes to all of their music. And right. uh, and James, uh, well, visually looking at him, you can tell he was beside himself. He thought this is this is a big deal. This is awesome. And. But he also talked about his kids. Uh, they were, he's like, we own the rights to our music now. And they're like, <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Molly uh, Crew did that too. Really? When they were with Electra. Yeah, Electra, um, the president had retired or whatever. And the new president of Electra hated him, could not stand him. And Nikki Six had made an offer to her to sell back everything. And she let it go for almost nothing. And that's how now all four band members of Motley Crue own 25% of Motley Crue. Oh. They own everything, all their masters, all that stuff. That's uh, that, in my opinion, that's the way it should be. That's something that a lot of bands don't ever think about when they sign mm -hmm. a record deal. Uh, they think yeah. oh, we're going to travel worldwide. We're going to make tons of money, but they've got to pay those bills first uh, for 
right. all that stuff. And it sounds like that your intention when, uh, if you were to uh, go out and sign a band is, uh, the ultimate goal that you want to achieve with that band is that they have full control over their stuff. Yep. And yeah, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And you know, if they sign, basically sign a long-term agreement with me, say 15 years, 10 years, whatever, at the end of that, you can take, you, you take everything you have, everything you did. The idea is I'm doing a good enough job that they're not going to want to go anywhere else. They're going to stay with me. Right. You know, they'll stay with the little crazy records and stick to it. Uh, that's what, that's what I've always wanted. I'd, I'd love to have a band and have them stick with me for X amount of years sure. know, or their whole their whole uh, lifetime. Sure. Um, yeah. I can't really think of any bands that stuck, uh, stuck with the same record label forever. They like Aerosmith started off with Columbia, but they uh, went to Geffen afterwards, didn't they? Right. And yeah, cause they had, yeah, they all got screwed up on their, on drugs and that. And then uh permanent vacation, they had ended their contract or their contract ran out with uh, Columbia. And then, Geffen had picked him up for a permanent vacation and on. And that's when they were pretty much reinvented right at, uh, yeah. right at that point. I mean, thanks to right. that uh, duet with run DMC mostly. Uh, right. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, that sounds, sounds like an awesome thing. I mean, so, so like uh, I totally encourage any bands out there, you know, if they're uh, to go talk to you because it sounds like you'll give oh, them a fair you. shake, you know? <laughs> oh, definitely. But, and just because you had mentioned promoters real quick, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I always thought this was good. I worked with a guy uh, that was a promoter, and he had brought in uh, Quiet Riot. And I was basically his right-hand man, um, mm. his bitch boy, basically. <laughs> and I was sitting in between the stage and the green room, or the backstage door, and this guy came up, and he's looking at me, and he goes, is the band here? And I was like... I have no idea. And I did know because I hadn't gone to get him yet. But he's looking at me and he goes, will you let me know when they're here? And I'm like, no. And he looks at me and he goes, do you know who I am? I said, no, but I know who you want to be. You want to be Gene Simmons, but you're not him. <laughs> and this guy looked like Gene Simmons did on uh, his show, uh, Family Jewels. Yeah. Just like that. Sunglasses, everything. And he's looking at me and he goes, you don't know who I am. I was like, yes, I do. I've met you. And, or I said, I've met who you're trying to, imp- you're trying to impersonate. I said, why in the hell would you be here in Minneapolis? You're supposed to be on a makeup tour with Tim Thayer and Eric Singer and Paul Stanley. <laughs> and he goes, just let me know and walks away. And I'm like, whatever. So I go a little later, go pick up Quiet Riot. And Frankie Benelli, the only original member that was uh, left, yeah. Or that was in the band at the time. He looks at me and goes, how's the crowd? I said, not bad. I said, pretty good. Gene Simmons is there. And he starts laughing. He's like, what? <laughs> the whole the whole band's laughing in the truck. I said, yeah, some guy come up came up to me and asked me if you guys were there yet. And then said, you know who I am? I said, no, I know who you're trying to be. And Frankie pulls back his hair, rolls back his eyes, sticks out his tongue, goes, who am I? And sticks out his tongue. <laughs> And it, look, it did. It looked just like Gene Simmons. <laughs> we get there. I had shown him into the green room, told him I'd be right outside the door. If they needed anything, let me know. And Frankie Benelli kind of peeks out the door, then stepped out, stood next to me, and he's looking. And he's looking and looking and looking. He goes, where is he? And I'm like, uh, oh, over there. 
He looks, and of course the guy looks up, sees Frankie, and is like, oh, and then starts running to the door. Frankie looks at me and goes, it's not Gene Simmons. He wouldn't be running to the door. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It was hilarious. The guy comes up and he goes, I know the band's here. I'm like, no, you know the drummer's here. You don't know if the whole band's here. You asked for the band. Mm-hmm. The guy looks at me. Finally, he gave up, just sulked away. He was pissed off because <laughs> I wouldn't let him back there. It's one of the funniest things I've encountered doing that, working for my buddy. Oh, uh, yeah, that's that's just crazy. Impersonates, oh, yeah. well, it's not probably not that uncommon to impersonate somebody to try to get somewhere. But uh, a well-known uh, uh, well-known celebrity celebrity like Gene Simmons, come on. <laughs> right. Show me your ID and his tongue just comes out, you know. <laughs> I look I look similar or I uh resemble uh Scott Ian of Anthrax. Mm. The goatee, hey, I, the hair, no, I've got your kid. Facebook page up. I can I can see that, yeah. I've had uh two quick stories. I've had a 13-year-old follow me around swearing I was him and I had shorts on. And I'm like, dude, look at the legs. The tattoos are completely different. I've got Jane Silent Bob, Caddyshack, Fast Times at Ridge Mahine, the Simpsons. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have Gene Simmons on my knee. And the kid goes, fine. If you don't want to sign anything and be a dick, fine. And he walked away finally. Like, dude, know your heroes, man. (laughs) Um, I couldn't believe that. Or one time, uh, Anthrax, I went to see him and I was actually, I've seen him several times, you know, not just on stage, but um, on stage, whatnot. I've heard those guys are awesome. Uh, I mean, not just awesome on stage, but they're genuinely nice guys. They are really nice. They are really cool. For some reason, Scott Ian will not take a picture with me and will not sign anything. I oh. don't know why this is, but they're opening for Motorhead, and wow, him and Charlie Benante were walking in, and Scott Ian's like, "We'll be back in a few minutes," and he kept looking at me, and he wouldn't take his eyes off me. He's like, "We'll be back shortly. Uh, you know, we'll sign everything. You know, just give us a little time." And as they're going in, you can hear Charlie Benante go, oh, my God, the guy looks just like you. He goes, I know it's scary, and the door closed. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have directed it any better. It's hilarious. That's awesome. <sighs> that was pretty good. Thank you so much for reaching out to me to uh, for being on the show. Uh, you've been awesome Thank to you. talk to. Uh, Thank you. Because telling bar stories and talking about music, that's two of my favorite things uh, <laughs> uh, to do. So um, Yeah, me too. If anybody wants to, alone. if anybody wants to contact you or uh, learn more about a little crazy entertainment, how do they get a hold of you? Um, at the moment, Facebook. That's about it. So Just, uh, there's a page, a little crazy entertainment. Okay. Or, um, the uh, little crazy podcast page, even though I don't I haven't done anything with it. Or are your horns up, which is the music podcast or music page that I got. All right. So thank you so much for. Uh, be, uh, participating with hey bartender podcast you've been awesome and uh, thank you and i'll be uh we'll talk a little bit right after this so okay people it is last call last call for alcohol time for you to come up and get your drink because i'm not going out there the commute would kill me so uh anyway special thanks to chuck parnell for taking time out for being on the show you're really cool to talk to uh, we kind of went off a little bit about uh, rock and roll a little bit, but that's just how that's just who I am. If I'm not talking about bartending, I'm talking about music. But uh, like he said, go hunt down him or a little crazy entertainment on Facebook. Find out a little bit more about him. He's really cool to talk to, as you heard. Very genuine guy. 
I'd also like to thank Wildflower uh, for letting me use their single bit by bit from their album, The By the Blood of My Heart. If you want to find out more about Wildflower or any of the bands that I have on this show, just remember, go over to Bandcamp.com. That's where I go hunt down all the good independent artists that I find. It's a great place, and remember, if you, uh, you're a band out there and you want to get a little bit of exposure, email me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com. Hey, and if you're a bartender or server or were at one time and have some really cool stories that you'd love to share, email me, dude at heybartenderpodcast.com. And I'd love to either have you on on the show or just read your story aloud from an email that you send me. Either way, it's cool. Remember to share, like, and subscribe to Hey Bartender Podcast. If you want to follow us, we are on Facebook, Hey Bartender Podcast, Instagram, Hey Bartender Podcast. I do show up on TikTok every once in a while. I think that's still Hey Bartender Podcast. Uh, but you won't catch me doing any of the dances or anything that like that. Might on a rare occasion, I'll do something a little goofy. But uh, that's a great place to find out when the new episodes uh, show up. So make sure to follow us on social media uh, and share, like, and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you decide that you, uh, you listen to your podcasts. I'm all over the place. Trust me. But until next time, everybody, it is closing time. So on your way out, I just want to wish you all lots of love, lots of sex. Lots of happiness, and don't take any shit from anyone. Good night. What do you mean it's let's go? I just got here.